0: tired of The Matrix?
1: The movie?
0: No, not the movie, but the one you're living in. If so, then hang out with your friends at the Full Circle.
1: What's the Full Circle?
0: Full Circle's a radio show written, produced, and directed by apprentices right here at KPFA. We'll bring you everything from the obscure to the obvious, the hidden and the blatant, as well as all things in between. So be informed. Hear about your world community every Friday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on 94.1 FM, where we'll serve you the red pill with love.
1: And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It's 3.31. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover. Welcome to the next edition of Cover to Cover Open Book, a magazine of arts and culture. My name is Raina Cowan, and I will be your host for the next half hour. Today, I wanted to talk about an art gallery exhibit that, in all places, is in Santa Fe. But when I went there, it really knocked my socks off. I thought it would be a really relevant thing to talk about. It's at Sites Santa Fe, and uh, it is an astounding look at contemporary art, from the Americas. It features 35 different artists from 16 countries, as well as 11 new commissions. And it's organized around a lot of very interesting ideas of intersecting issues about culture, indigenous art, uh, political issues, poetry. Very interesting. With me to talk about this uh, are two people. First, we have The Phillips Director and Chief Curator of Site Santa Fe, Irene Hoffman, she joined Site in October 2010 after serving as the Executive Director and Curator of the Contemporary Museum in Baltimore, and before that had also been at the Orange County Museum of Art in Newport Beach, uh, the Cranberg Art Museum uh, in Michigan, Art Institute of Chicago, and the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis. We're also joined by Conrad Skinner. He is both an architect and historian, and he does furniture design. And uh, he did a particular exhibit or helped organize an exhibit, which I thought was very interesting, linking um, Native American art to uh, this particular exhibit, and we'll get into that in a bit. So first off, I want to welcome both Irene and Conrad. Welcome to KPFA.
2: Thank you. Hello.
1: Great great to be with you. Thank you. So, uh, you know, I've gone to many different art exhibits over the years, and I find that it's very difficult to find an exhibit that both represents um, sort of cultural issues in a way that's accessible, exciting, and dynamic, as well as really pushing the idea of art and what it represents. So, Irene, I want to start with you what was the inspiration for this particular biennial because i think it was very successful and i just wanted to understand what was behind it
2: well well thank you um, at site santa fe um, for over 20 years we've been hosting a biennial exhibition that um sort of takes the pulse of contemporary art globally. Um, however, in the last 5 years, what we've really been doing is shifting the focus um, from one that has is largely an east-west axis that is the has largely been the focus of the of the art world to one that looks at the north-south axis. And and so with that, site is really looking at contemporary art production throughout the Americas and in the process bringing in many voices that are generally um, not included in contemporary art biennials, especially in the United States. And so the exhibition that you saw, much wider than a line, um, the idea behind exhibitions like this was to bring together a group of curators that have expertise in various um, areas in the, in the Americas, and to have a conversation among those curators about what is the most urgent, the most engaging, the most vital to, to address through an exhibition like this. So the show that you saw was curated by five curators um, from Chile, from Canada, uh, from the U.S from Mexico, from Brazil with vast experience um, organizing contemporary art exhibitions and really, um, but but for most of them, this was the first time they were part of a much larger um, curatorial conversation and so what fills our nearly 18,000 square feet of gallery spaces in our museum is an exhibition that, that these five curators put together and it it coalesced around ideas about the shared relationships in the Americas, the importance and inspiration of the vernacular, and what we can learn from indigenous knowledge. And so those three ideas sort of weave throughout this exhibition.
1: So could you describe vernacular? What do you mean in terms of an artistic way of describing vernacular?
2: So that that. Really looks at what are the sort of design aesthetics? What are the traditions of weaving of of architecture um, of creating um, uh, objects? Sometimes for for art, but also objects for daily life. What are those kinds of traditions that that are that come from a very particular place um, that? That contemporary artists are bringing forward, that are recuperating, relearning those various um, techniques and approaches.
1: I see. So, when these five people who have very different sensibilities get together, you can imagine it could be Mm -hmm. chaos. What was it that, uh, what were the kinds of questions that they were asking that helped facilitate what this exhibit became?
2: Well, one of the things that um, was really extraordinary about working with this with this group, and my my role in this is bringing together the group and helping facilitate and move move the project forward. Um, there was significant interest. In this group, in the history of of this place, of Santa Fe in particular, of the Southwest more generally, and that led to a lot of research in the region. That um, it, that's that is is in in large part um, why the exhibition begins with um the installation that Conrad can tell you about about the Paolo Solari Amphitheater, a piece of architecture here in in Santa Fe that has many kind of connections to the experiences in the Americas. But I think they came to this project very open, open to learning from their colleagues, open to um, what this Context: What Santa Fe, what the history of our biennial at site might lead them, and and so we spent about six months, um, not only um, facilitating the the sharing of ideas between the group, but also in in research in the region. And so that's what began the the conversations um, around this exhibition. And so what you what you see when you come to, to to visit our exhibition is is one that not only speaks to many shared experiences throughout the Americas, but also has has significant relevance to our community here.
1: So why don't we start with the Paulo Solari Amphitheater, uh, Conrad? Welcome to KPFA. Uh,
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: So. This is interesting. Um, on the campus of the Santa Fe Indian School, it was, uh, there was an amphitheater that was designed that was built in the late 60s, I understand, and then was threatened with demolition. So it was something that was fascinating. I first saw this amazing sort of Recreation of the amphitheater with all this text that sort of described how this Italian architect was going to come in and sort of the rules that he needed to use to help develop and design this center, so can you tell us some about the the Solari amphitheater sure the the
0: Amphitheater was built by the Institute of American Indian Arts, which was founded in 1962 and put on the campus there where the Indian School had been, so it replaced the Indian School on that campus for about 20 years. Lloyd Keevanew, who was the arts director and really the the philosophical eminence grise behind the Institute of American Indian Arts, um, very early on, decided that to the traditional curriculum, you might call it, of painting, sculpture, ceramics, jewelry, he wanted to add drama. And at that time, there wasn't really any contemporary Native American drama. So he and a man named Roland Meinholz, who was his drama director, basically, Invented it, and those texts you 're speaking of were the program for both the characteristics of Native American drama and the physical what what Lloyd Kivaeau called a physical setting, which is the amphitheater, and which he considered to be a very, very important part of the whole drama curriculum, in other words, he felt as though Native American drama had to be performed in the right kind of setting.
1: Well, there's these really interesting ideas. So I just wanted to read a couple of them uh, in terms of him thinking about what it could be. He says, a typical audience reaction might be, well, I didn't completely understand it, but I've got this strange knot in my chest. B., For further clarification, the theories of Brecht and his epic theater are the exact opposite of the above principle. See, it must be construed that intellectual content is the enemy of Indian theater. Intellectual content will be used by Indian theater in much the same manner as naturalism. And then it goes on. uh, So that there's all these different points of... Sort of conceptualizing something that hadn't been really thought about before, and then having a visual representation so that those ideas could be carried out.
0: Uh, yes, those points apply to the dramatic part of of Native American drama. In other words, what a play would be like, and I don't, um, I'm not really qualified to. Go deeply into that, but from my um, um there are other points that apply actually to the theater but from my understanding is Roland Meinholz and Lloyd Kivaeau and a couple of other people researched Native American dramas uh, to try to understand uh, not so much dramas but ceremonies because that's where in traditionally stories had been included in ceremonies, and they tried not to reproduce these things, but to capture the feeling of them. So there was a, I believe in the the first point, they were expressing a kind of a mystical feeling that would come out of a traditional performance, and they were suggesting that that could be reproduced in a contemporary performance. Now, this this is both the conception of the drama and the theater followed the main philosophical underpinning of the Institute of American Indian Arts, and that was that traditional forms could underlie and be the basis of contemporary production. So... Lloyd Kivanu and the people at the IAIA were trying to bridge traditional culture to contemporary culture. But they wanted to end up with a contemporary form of expression.
1: That's so interesting. So, Irene, you know, of all the exhibits, because there's some fascinating ones, there's like a, this hut, there is amazing photography, there is uh, some film, how did you decide that this was going to be the piece that people came into first?
2: Well, I think for the five curators of this exhibition, they each found um, inspiration in this building the The amphitheater is a really physically it 's an extraordinary structure. Um, that is is um, so unlike anything you might um, encounter in terms of a, of a theater, and and so there are so many qualities of it that are inspiring. The the history behind this the place, the the notes on Indian theater um, from which you just read a few points, just reads as um, this wonderful manifesto. Um, for an art form and i think for each of the curators there were different components of this building that were inspiring it it expresses the um, what can be learned from indigenous knowledge it expresses the vernacular architecture and it also because of the kinds of theater productions that took place on that stage over many decades, it also expresses a sort of connectivity of experiences in the Americas. And so it became um, a way in which to begin the conversation around the ideas of the exhibition by bringing the audience into a rather large gallery that celebrates this amphitheater. And for for our audience here in Santa Fe, they have not been able to go to the amphitheater for many years. It is, in fact, still um, uh, closed and 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 indeed derelict at this point. Um, so, for many people, seeing it, it was um, the the first time they'd seen it in, in 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 any form in many years, and it reintroduced this um, this place to m- much of our audience. That knew about and knows about this amphitheater just through its its reputation and the stories that have been told of this place over the years, so it became a really um, natural way to begin um, our, to begin our exhibition
1: uh, you're listening to open book uh, at Arts and Culture Review. My name is Raina Cowan, and we're talking about Site Santa Fe, uh, New Perspectives on Art of the America and their ongoing biennial series. And we're speaking with Irene Hoffman and Conrad Skinner. So, Conrad, you're uh, both a historian and an architect. So, when you're looking at this building, what is it that strikes you that you hadn't really seen before that that was somehow put together in a way that is so different from most architecture
0: well i, 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 I can answer that very clearly i had been to about uh, oh, four or five concerts uh, during from the 80s through the 90s and um my impression had always been that it was kind of hippie architecture in 2010 the year that it was closed, I was invited to a, what for better words I'll call a digital imaging project, um, and just to observe, and I spent two days climbing through this theater, and it gripped me physically, and I, I knew that it was designed somehow to work that physical effect. On actors and performers, while they were while they were performing a play or some other kind of theater piece, and I had professionally had some experience working with theaters. I used to do uh, architecture for the Santa Fe Opera, which is an extremely sophisticated theater, but it does not grip you the way this theater does, and one of the things that Uh, if one does a certain amount of research, one understands is that this theater was deliberately designed to not have a proscenium. And the proscenium is that great Western abstraction that makes the play be a performance inside a box, the frame around the stage and this theater doesn't have one. It's much more like a kind of a landscape that performers can move through. They can even um, transition from tunnels that open from under the audience seating, across the stage, up stairways or up through hollow columns, to an upper stage where they can perform. So there's this whole element that is present in Native American stories of moving between worlds and spiritual states. And that was deliberate in the, uh, in, in the design of the theater and also I might add beautifully translated in the exhibit at site by Eliza Naranjo Morse, who's a from the pueblo of Santa Clara, and made a micaceous clay model of the theater with an umbilicus coming from below. It's on a t- set into a table, and a clay umbilicus winds spirals up from below and comes into the theater. So she translated this concept of vertical. Movement and transformation into her model and expresses it in a very beautiful way, this thing that is is an essential element in the design of the theater and can really only be expressed physically through the movement of actors through those spaces and elements of the design.
1: That's so interesting. I I, I think that we can't uh, end this interview, Irene, without talking about I mean, one of the things that's interesting is that this was designed by um, an Italian architect. And, uh, and I was thinking about, in so much of the work, there's a lot that's talking about issues around identity, race, borders, decolonial practices. Uh, I think that the only other museum that I've really seen a successful, I don't know, I wouldn't say exhibit, but a whole structure that thinks about these kinds of things is the Brooklyn Museum. And I am wondering uh, how all those issues wind up getting thought about within the course of uh, this biennial. Um, Well, I
2: think that... um We have been we've been having conversations around these subjects um, since we began um, this work with our refocusing our biennial on the Americas and these notions of um, decolonialization, how that is expressed in different parts of the Americas, and how artists are expressing it in the work. We're finding. So much extraordinary work being made in this in this uh, area in this spirit and and so it has really become a very important part of the the DNA of the the work that that we are doing, regardless of the team of curators. It has now become an important part of the conversation about identity, about borders, about the relationships that we have. Um, with, um, with other, other, other important cities in the Americas. And that's where, that's where this title of our exhibition becomes really powerful, I think, for, for, for us, for the artists that are in the show. The the title is called Much Wider Than a Line. That's a phrase that comes from a book by Leanne Simpson called Dancing on Our Turtle's Back. And in it, she's, she's writing about uh, indigenous peoples and the relationships between sovereign nations and how communities might coexist at borderlines. And so, really speaking of this notion of at at this place of a border, of a line between nations, that that's really about the beginning of a relationship, of a shared caretaking of of the land, and a notion that um, these kinds of shared territories um, are are ones that um, ought to be cared for, and so much wider than the line you know, becomes um, a a bigger metaphor for a desire for greater understanding uh, of one another through the artworks that our curators selected and then the experience of walking through a show that brings together these many different voices.
1: I see. So, Conrad, for you, when you were uh, doing this work on the Paolo Soleri Amphitheater. Were there things that you actually learned through the course of putting this exhibit together that you hadn't really kind of linked together before?
0: Well, whenever whenever you whenever I get involved in something deeply, yes, there are always things that uh, that sort of appear as maybe more or less important than they they were. Um, uh, in a little bit of con- uh, connection, you, you mentioned that Paulus Larry was, yeah, he was. He came from Italy. He went to work for Frank Lloyd Wright in 1946, right after World War II, and he came from the m- one of the most destroyed cities in Italy, Torino. Um, so, as as I was looking working on this, the question arose. Um, So why did these two men, an Italian emigre and Lloyd Keevanew, why did they, how were they attracted to each other as collaborators? And I I briefly just sort of assumed, hey, these guys collaborated, but there had to be some reason that Lloyd Keevanew, who was a Cherokee Indian, um, well-educated, he'd gone to the Chicago Art Institute before World War II, how did how did these guys get together and i i concluded after a certain amount of research and and, and some new experiences that they what they both had in common was the earth and that lloyd Kiva had made colors with pigments from the earth of his family farm in oklahoma so he had this very, very early formative experience with the earth, and he ended up being an artist, of course. And Paolo Soleri was forming uh, concrete structures with forms of earth built up of silt. And so he was working also with the materials at hand in Arizona. And I, I, I know that in 1962... Lloyd Kivanu was brought to paolo Firi's compound. They were both in Scottsdale, and I believe that the bomb there was formed when you know i i I'm, I'm I'm surmising a little bit, but when Lloyd Kivanu saw these earth formed buildings under construction, and later on he was was very emphatic that it was paololeri's forming a building with the earth that made it appropriate for a Native American theater. Um, well, so the, you know, the more I work on it, the more questions pop up, and the more I am curious to answer them.
1: So this is a, it's a very interesting exhibit, Sightlines 2016, Much Wider Than a Line, It's New Perspective on Art of the Americas. It runs through January 8th, Uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. For more information, you can go to the website, sitesantafe.org. It's Site's ongoing biennial series, and uh, I I thought it was fantastic. So I want to thank both of you, Irene Hoffman and Conrad Skinner, for joining me today to talk about this exhibit and uh, to link it with people here on the West Coast. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks. My name is Raina Cowan. This has been another edition of Cover to Cover Open Book, a look at arts and culture, particularly focused on film. And today we expanded into the world of art. I will be back soon to talk to you more about film. Thanks for listening.
0: The Impossible is a thrilling radical manifesto, refreshing, functional. Medea Benjamin says it will get you up and into the street, fist raised, heart full, reaching for the spectacular. This will be presented by writer Bill Ayers with Bernardine Dorn. Former weather folk, now fierce social justice activists. Thursday, December 1st at St. John's Presbyterian Church, 2727 College Avenue in Berkeley. There's free parking and wheelchair access at this KPFA benefit. Advanced tickets at brownpapertickets.com and indie bookshops. See the KPFA website for the outspoken support of Naomi Klein, Vijay Prashad, Chris Hedges, Angela Davis,
1: and so many more. For Bill and Bernardine, December 1st.